Welcome to Get in the Herd, a podcast about addiction and recovery brought to you by the McShin Foundation. If you or a loved one are looking for real discussions about addiction, recovery, stigma, advocacy, and most importantly, hope, then stick around. Thanks for joining us. Now sit back and get ready for another great episode of Get in the Herd. John Shenholz here, live at the McShen Foundation with another episode of Getting Our Heard Award-Winning Podcast. And today we got a special group of ladies with us. We're going to talk about a night for Scott. But before we dig into that, I'm going to ask Jill to introduce herself. And then when you get done, we'll introduce her mama, Linda. Jill. Okay. Hey, John. Hey, hey, thanks for having us today. It's always yeah. fun coming on your show. Um, so I am Jill Chikowitz. I think a lot of people at McShin know who we are by now, but um, we uh, started a night for Scott after losing my twin brother to an accidental drug overdose. And um, we're excited because it's coming up next weekend. Mom, did you want to introduce yourself? This is my lovely mother. Scott's mother. Yes. As well. <laughs> What's your name? Linda Zabrowski. <laughs> well, that was a strong introduction there, Linda. No, so uh, just just briefly tell us uh, when is Nights for Scott? Uh, what what you know what what the you know the theme is this year? Because I know there's a dress code, and then we'll we'll go from there. So a Night for Scott is going to be Saturday, May twenty second. That is one week from today or this week, <laughs> Saturday. Um, we are doing an online auction app this year. That is something new that we have never done. So the bidding, people will be able to start bidding on the items this Saturday with our uh, website. So we will promote that. We'll give it to you. We'll put it on the All for Scott Facebook page. It's at Salisbury Country Club. It's at 3 p.m. Um, it is a fascinators and bow ties theme. And if for those people that don't really know what fascinator is, it's just the fancy hats they wear in London. Um, they're little fun little side hats. Um, we will have Miss America 2020 as a keynote speaker. And you guys know Dan Schneider, the pharmacist. He's coming to speak as well. We have music by Ty97 and Weekend Plans, live and silent auction, um, a great dessert bar, and it's going to be a really good time. Well, that sounds exciting. Uh, Jill, you all excited for it? I'm jazzed about it. You know I, I mean, excuse me. I mean, Linda, Linda, you don't look so excited. Are you excited? <laughs> I, I am excited. You know, it's a different time for us. Usually it's an evening event. So this is the first time it'll start in the afternoon and, and run, you know, to early evening, inside and out. So I think that'll be a lot of fun too. Yeah, it's so a beautiful, it's a beautiful venue. Good. So now a lot of folks may not really know who Scott was or you know what what he was about or whatnot. Uh, Jill, can you talk a little bit about Scott and your relationship? Yes. So Scott is my twin brother, and I always tell everybody I I say he is my twin brother because we didn't stop being twins. You know, he's no longer here, but. So what happened is, you know, he was in California and ran a gym and did very well for himself. He had a back injury that workers' compensation put him on Oxycontin. And after he got on Oxycontin, he was unable to get off of the opioid. Um, after he was not able to get the pill anymore, he got one from a friend. And I say it's a friend. I don't know if we would call him a friend, but he got one from a person and um, he ended up taking it and going into Starbucks and coming out and he passed away in the Starbucks parking lot from fentanyl toxicity. So once he died, our family decided, you know, it took us a few months to figure out what we wanted to do, but we decided we didn't want another family to go through what we went through. We were all a little bit, I think, naive and what 
really was going on and what happened to Scott. And we thought if we brought his story forward and educated the public and talked about what happened to us personally, it would spare another family the same pain that we feel, you know, every day. So this is, we would know Scott would want us to do this. And so that's why we do it. It's not always easy. It's not always comfortable. My mom's not always in front of a camera. She's not a fan of doing it, but we also know it's critical that we're doing it. Right. Well, we appreciate y'all talking about this and bringing awareness to not only the illness, but the epidemic we have going on. And, you know, you're, you're, you're big on reducing stigma. And we certainly appreciate that here. Uh, Linda, what, what kind of child was, was Scott growing up? <laughs> um, he was very young. He was kind of nerdy. Um, always wore sweatsuit, glasses. Yeah. You know, he was good at sports, but he was just kind of nerdy. And then uh, when he got to be 15 or 16, he put on the contacts, kind of beefed up, got taller, got taller than Jill, and became quite, uh, quite popular in the girls world and the boys world and also sports. So, um, I mean, he loves sports. He, um, he went to college. He, he was not, um, he, you know, he liked to have a good time. Um, he had a, um, a significant, uh, important girlfriend when he was 16 or 17 that, uh, she got killed in a, a terrible car accident. And I think that had some impact on, on Scott as well. But um, no, he was he was uh, quite the teenager and young man going into college. Well, so was he a good kid? Wasn't a troublemaker or anything? He he was full of himself. He was not, you know, yeah. he, when he got to be sixteen, you know, you knew when he walked in a room. You know, he was he was vocal. <laughs> he was handsome, and he was like mischievous a little bit. Mischievous, yeah, as a kid, and he was good at sports. Um, and like I said, he became, you know, quite popular with, you know, the girls when he was like 16, 17 too, you know, cause he was, um, you know, yeah, he, figured it out. He, he learned how to crack the code with the girls. He did. He did <laughs> from, from that little boy with those thick glasses and never pants. brushed his hair. Yeah. I was so embarrassed of him as a child cause he was such a nerd. And they would say, oh, and he'd always tell everyone, I'm Jill's twin. Mm -hmm. He'd go around bragging to everyone. And I'm like, hey, you know, keep that information to yourself, buddy. But um, yeah. One, one summer he blossomed. Yeah, he really did. And everybody said they thought he was a new kid in school. They didn't know who he was. <laughs> yeah. When I, when I went from 10th to 11th grade, I think I grew a foot and, you know, yeah, really yeah. beefed up and looked better yeah. and whatnot. So I, yeah. know, I know that process. So raising twins, uh, Linda, how, how was that? It was like matching outfits and everything. and. Uh, not so much because uh, they were, you know, boy and girl, you know, it's not like, you know, the same sex. Uh, we did a little in the beginning, but um, uh, Scott always, well, he was very close with Jill, but he was, you know, very, you know, athletic in sports too. So he kind of, um, it, they have a sister that's a little bit older, you know, they kind of um, went that sports route. Well, Jill did too, but she was more in cheer, cheering yeah. and track and, um, uh, you know, where Scott was, um, he was in football, yeah. he was in tennis. Now, now, did they think alike? Were they acting alike? Could you tell they were twins or? Um, they both were very sensitive. Both of them were very sensitive. Uh, now, they I, looked I out, never they, noticed that by knowing Jill. <laughs> I was, you know, it's unbelievable. I was very sensitive and I was really quiet as a child. Scott would, unbelievable. Come, Scott would come over and take her bottle and he would gently push her down and take the bottle so she wouldn't <laughs> fall hard. So, uh, yeah. um, no, he was always, um, uh, he was, he was, he was born five minutes before Jill and he was always a little bit more of the leader. And, um, and then Jill kind of, they did at different intervals. One would kind of be more dominant than the other. Mm, I'll be that gone. So yeah. anyway, so moving forward, you know, I want to just touch on when I first met Jill, when you first come over here to the office and you explain the situation and what you want to do. And I thought that was a great way to, you know, provide not only a tribute to Scott, but, you know, I know it always helps people when they want to do things. But then when I met Linda and the rest of your family, I felt like, you know, they were following your lead, trusting the process, but they didn't really know what the outcome might be. But along the way, I noticed this incredible healing component to your family. And that's the part 
that really sticks out in my mind because when I first met the family, you were still in shock. You know, it, it was yeah. still, you know, Scott's death wasn't that far removed from, mm-hmm. you know, you wanting to do something to honor him. So standing back a little bit, watching this happen, I got to witness a family healing through doing this type of stuff. I mean, and I know, Jill, you probably know that and, and recognize it, but I was wondering, Linda, did, did does that make sense what I'm saying? Did, do you feel like this this type of activity has helped your family heal a little bit? Well, it does. It's it's an outlet. It's a way to put your frustration, your, your sadness. Uh, you feel like something's good coming out of something horrible that happened. You know, something, you know, if you can better it at all, um, this is one way to do it. Jill, your thoughts on that? I, you know, I totally agree. You know, I think, so we came to you um, like six months after he passed, right after his funeral in August. And, um, you know, we just, I think after Scott passed, we got into this dark place. I know I personally went into this very dark hole that I had never felt before. And I was really scared about what I was feeling. And I, I thought it's either sink or swim. And I decided to pull out and, I just said, you know, we got to do something. We got to help him. This could not be Scott's legacy. Scott was just not a druggie. Like the things he would do, I mean, the heart he had and the stuff he would do behind closed doors that people just don't know about him. I didn't want anyone to forget that. And we had, um, I had a nephew born about two and a half weeks before Scott passed and uh, Luca and Luca will never know his uncle. And I just couldn't bear the thought of him thinking that this is what his uncle was when his uncle was so much more. So doing stuff. And also I like to talk about Scott. That's the way I handle my grief is telling people his story, talking about, you know, they say a man's never truly dead if you keep saying his name. And so that's what I like to do. I handle my grief through work in Scott's honor and it has helped me tremendously. So the, um, no, now Linda, back to you. Did you notice like, a newfound energy in Jill when she took on this project? Uh, was it was it cool to watch and witness? Well, I like to call Jill first thing in the morning. Jill, what's going on? And she <laughs> always and she always has like a, a an information chat, you know, with what's going on. And I look forward to that. Um, because I mean Scott's like the first thing, you know, you think about, you know, when you get up. So um and the last thing before you go to bed. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's never away from us. I mean he's always I mean, Scott was close to our whole family, but I think Scott was particularly close with my mom and I. He spoke to us most often and um, really wanted our the opinion to be high of him. And he really looked like he needed it from us at all times. And we were always there to help him. It didn't matter what he asked. We might have been enabling, but in the same sense as I just couldn't bear the thought something happened to him and I wasn't trying to help him at that time. And right. I think you probably feel the same. Yes. Yeah. What, what we thought was helping. And, um, you know, and, and I'm so glad to hear, you know, when people talk about that rabbit hole um, that you, they have to come out. Oh, and, rock bottom. Yes. Yeah. And, and that's so untrue. We don't like the words rock bottom. I know everybody says you got to let him hit bottom to bounce up. And honestly, he never hit rock bottom. He was close to it, but he, he never made it back. And so we're, we're big believers that you don't let them get to rock bottom. You try not to let some them. intervention. Yeah. Yeah. Right. The, um, now, out of curiosity, how, how'd you find us, Jill? McSharon, what, what, how'd you know to come over here and talk to us? Well, it was really my mom. Cause I had, my husband, you know, was in the military. We were living all over the country. And, um, I think my mom had talked to Paxton about Scott coming there. Yeah, I did. Well, actually, my husband told me about it. Yeah. And so uh, then I checked it out and I spoke with the intake, I think Paxton there, and uh, told him a little bit. And he kind of painted, um, you know, what possibly could happen is a very bad picture. And I said, well, let's try and get Scott in there. And um, Scott had intentions of coming back to come to McShen and he just didn't make it. So that, and so that's oh, where, California. Yeah. That's so that's how Jill found, you know, found us. Yes. Over yes. My husband told there. me about it. You you got some, uh, some write up in the paper and he was in all the good things that your organization had done. And he said, you know, why don't we check this out? And we had also gone to Sheriff Carl Leonard because my dad had heard about the HARP program um, in the news or in the paper and said, you should really, if this is what you want to do, these are the people you need to reach out to. And as you know, in the beginning, I was reaching to, you know, you guys. I went to Sheriff Leonard, Dr. Abubakar. 
I went through everybody in Richmond that I thought had a connection of how to get this thing going. Well, good. Well, I'm, well, I'm really glad you did. I'm glad it's working out the way it's working out. But, you know, I got to say, after meeting your family, man, you got a cool family. You know, I've loved everybody <laughs> I've met in your family on, on both sides. And you got a wonderful array of friends. And seems like everybody's been awful supportive of this, this uh, event you do, Night for Scott. Oh, my gosh. I I think every year I get a little more overwhelmed and humbled by the amount of support. And, the, you know, we've grown, as you know, um, where more people are getting on board. More people are, you know, my older brothers, he's joined it and a lot of our close friends. And um, I think it's almost like a movement, which is a good thing. I mean, we're, we're trying to change. I don't think we can change the country, but like our community and where we live and our kids go to school and try to make a difference. I think it's very possible and it's happening. And so that makes my heart very full. You know, you know, a lot of families, they don't like to talk about substance use right. disorders. They, they suffer from stigma and they're not quick to share it. But and I noticed your family, it appears that y'all are, you know, you're welcome to lend a hand to anybody that's, that wants to talk or chat. Uh, Linda, in your experience, since you began this event, do you think that's helped you communicate better with friends and neighbors and talk about things? Well, um, every day, like when you go and check the news or you're going your computer, you hear about another uh, someone died, a celebrity or and usually those are the ones that reach. I mean, just recently it was some football player from Hawaii, I forget. And they said his was fentanyl as well. And I believe he was early 30s. Um, I have some people that have had similar situations reach out to me and they'll talk about it. Uh, but um, not so much. They um, they're still a little bit. They like to support and they sit back, you know, look and listen. But I've had a few that have had similar situations. And if they've already experienced it in some way, they like to make contact. But if they haven't experienced it, I think they're a little bit more just kind of watching. Right. Well, I think, see, I think this is how we reduce stigma. You know, we got to bring the problem, you know, have awareness, you know. But not only that, when people get to see families like y'all active, doing things, doing these wonderful events, you know, be willing to share. I know Jill talked to anybody. I mean, a lot of people suffer from grief and, and I know y'all are quick to talk to people and share your experience. And I just think overall, this is just an incredible, wonderful activity and event y'all, y'all, y'all organized. And, um, where, where do you think this might go down the road, Jill, or how do you, how do you want this to the end or look or keep going? Well, I mean, you mean the fundraiser or just the advocacy work? Well, I mean, I think the fundraiser was a stepping stone, you know, for, you know, what, what you can do. You know, there is no limit to how, how impactful you can be or a night for Scott right. to be, you know, you got some ambitions. Right. Well, you know, when we started it, we kind of thought it was going to be just a year. We were just going to do it to keep Scott's memory alive. And because we had a very small funeral, it was kind of closed and a lot of people wanted to pay their respects to our family. So we did it the first year and then it was such a success and everybody really enjoyed it. We said, well, let's do it another. And so, you know, we're coming up on the fourth year, which is crazy, isn't it? man. It don't seem like four years, but I guess it seems like four, four years, four. doesn't it? Good no, Lord. no. What were we saying? I was going to say, you know, I don't picture it ever ending. I think it's a beginning. And I think, you know, it can really, really go to lots of places to help lots of people. And, um, you know, it's just getting started. Yeah, I think we're kind of just starting to get warmed up. I think the fact is, you know, it's taken off and more people are starting to follow us and want to get involved. And you hit the nail on the head when you said stigma, John. You know, we there's still a lot of stigma. I mean, and I would say probably it's a generational thing, too, with some of like maybe your people, like your age group versus I think people that are especially the younger people coming through that are like 20 and high school. Like it's kind of trendy to be like hashtag in the stigma, you know, hashtag opioid awareness, which is good that they're doing that because they're getting hit pretty hard right now. But I think with my generation, you know, we're kind of on board. There's some people. And I think as you get older, there's still a lot of judgment. There's still a lot of people that don't probably support what we do and probably don't think that we're well the magnitude yeah i mean you've always had issues like this going on you know you know from you know i remember things going on you know when i was young but not this magnitude and not killing this many people right i mean this is serious well that that fentanyl the real game changer for you know people and, and, and see we've become so we've become so global 
and things, you know, come in and, and they get out of control and, um, it's right. like, it's never been at this magnitude before. Well, you know, they, if you follow all the opiate epidemics this country's had going back to the civil war, it's always been like a 10 to 15 year lag period before you can level things off. And, 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 you know, Jill, you know, as well as I do that it's Purdue Farmer and the Oxycontin epidemic triggered this right. current opiate epidemic. Right. And then, then our foreign enemies, of course, are piling on with the fentanyl. And yeah. uh, it's just not, it's not good. You know, it's going to be here for a while. So it is, it's not going anywhere. And I'm glad you brought that up. I was going to bring, you know, mention that too, with the opioid and the Purdue Pharma and, you know, Scott being with that involved in that, that opened a lot of doors that I didn't know was going to open. You know, I, you know, I went up to Manhattan in front of the Department of Justice and told a story. And now I've been doing some keynote speakers like at um, like Duquesne University. Some of the high schools around here have asked me to come on and teach the Zoom to the kids um, about Scott's story, because sometimes it's more like a personal connection they have when I go on there. I'm not really a doctor or someone who has a degree in this, but I think um, when you've lived it, that's probably a lot more, I don't know, comes across a little bit easier for people. The Oxycontin was really a game changer. It was. I mean, you you get on that, you it's very few that come back. Well, it's legal heroin is what it is. Yeah, I mean, it is. It is. It is. Yeah. It's, even, it's even stronger. And, you know, the, if I guess it is possible and some people, you know, few do come back, but the relapse and well, know, the brain damage is mean, very so hard much, to yeah. make that comeback. You know, I, I remember in the, in the late nineties, you know, sitting at the coffee shop after meeting, you know, I'm a meeting maker without, you know, breaking my anonymity to the actual name of the 12 step program. But we'd be sitting around and we'd have newcomers show up talking about these pills they're getting and how easy it is to get them. And I'm saying, you mean all you got to do is go in and tell a doctor you got, you know, back pain and they give you these pills? They said, yeah, it's yeah. that easy. And, man, we lost a lot of addicts back then, you know, in recovery because they found out how easy it was to go get this stuff. And then I remember in 2006 when they had a lawsuit in a settlement case. And, and I couldn't believe that that just opened the door for, for Purdue Pharma to, like, you know, triple down on, on their money and their pill mills. And, you know, watching this whole thing unfold, it's like insanity, you, you, you know, and you, you know, Dan, the pharmacist and what he went through in early 2000s. And then to watch that HBO series, I don't know if you saw that HBO series the other it's, night on TV. Oh, the HBO yeah, actually, a lot of people have reached out to me asking, I, I, you know, I saw bits and pieces, but we do need to sit down and yeah, watch it. Um, and, you know, oh, Dan Schneider, what you said with the pharmacist on Netflix, his his series was an eye opener. Like it was a game changer when we watched those four parts. And yeah. you know, and the the bad thing about it, like in Scott's case, you know, sometimes I would talk to him and I said, Scott, what's wrong with you? You're you're you have slurred speech, or you know, mm -hmm. are you taking something? And he said, I'm only taking my medication. You know, what the doctors with, gave me. It's perfectly. Yeah. And I said, Well, Scott, why are you acting like that? And he goes, you know, it's it's only my pills, mom. They help my back. I'm supposed to take them. Yeah. You know, so, you know, here you think you're taking something legal that's going to help you and you're it's all to your demise. And you're trusting your doctor that they're looking out for you. And yeah. Well, that that series, the one thing I, I took away from that, I knew this because I watched a 60 minute segment on it. But sometime around 2010 or 11, Congress actually changed the law so these pharmaceutical companies could, could continue to get away with poison in our nation and they couldn't be prosecuted. Right. And don't quote me yeah. on here, but I thought, oh my God, every single member of Congress is is implicit in this opiate epidemic we have. And and the people, it's like they don't care, you know. I, I mean, I'm flabbergasted at how our entire Congress can vote. You know, it was almost a 99% yay vote that gave a loophole to these companies, even after we knew all this, after all the hard work Dan did on the pharmacists and exposing this, right. our Congress let this stuff happen. And it's almost like they're getting ready to let the Sacklers walk. I mean, your, your, yeah. your, your brother, your son died from somebody. And, and it's like, okay, these guys, if they get caught selling these drugs or, or whatever, some of them get a lot of trouble. Some of them get a little bit of trouble. But good Lord, look at what Congress did, you know, and I haven't seen any of those people go to jail. I haven't seen any of the Pardue Farmer people go to jail. 
Nope. But yet they're so quick to lock these other kids up. And I don't mean to get off the subject and get on a rant, but there's just so many levels of, of guilty parties. And there's so many more Scots are getting ready to die. And a lot of it because of these policies. So even though you are reducing stigma, helping other families, you're remembering Scott, there's a big, big picture out there. And, and, and I think you're yeah. becoming aware of it. No, and, you know, it goes to show you with, like, the Sackler family, you know, money, power, and greed. They're they're getting away with it. They're gonna they're getting off, yeah. and it's it's alarming. And there's, I mean, being on that Purdue Pharma ad hoc committee, I have met many many families that have lost someone to the opioid crisis, and it's horrifying the details of what these families go through, all because of you know big pharma. It's sad. It's sickening right. actually. Yeah. Well, let's uh let's bring it back in, I guess, to the nights for Scott here. The uh, so tell us what what you got any cool auction items or anything or. We have a ton of them and it's funny. So our ticket sales are almost shutting down. We're almost at capacity. Um, I'm surprised it hasn't sold out yet, but I think a lot of people are waiting to see how COVID was and things, as you know, are getting a little better. Most people have been vaccinated, so they're kind of ready to come out and kick up their heels. But we have like a really cool beach house in the Outer Banks that was donated, a house in Wintergreen. Um, what are some of the other auction items? Tickets to the Washington Nationals baseball game. Um, we have some really, really cool items that have been donated. We get a lot of support. Yeah, and, and you, from some of your uh, your uh, beauty places, your um, yeah, yeah, like um, yeah, my good friend with uh, you know Veda with Salama yeah. Soul, my friend Cynthia. I mean, people, um, a lot of the um, Dr. Nyam too. You know, he's really big with the Best Fest. He's donated, and it's funny because of we what we've started to doing then winning Best Charity Event. And Channel 8 is our uh, corporate sponsor this year. So they're plugging us on their website, their social media. Every time of the hour, you'll see like a little 10 second thing come over about a night for Scott. And I have people reaching out to me that I had I don't know yet. So um, it is growing and it's it is it's exciting to watch. It's kind and, then, of fun. and this year you've staggered the time, it looks like. You can come early, stay late or... Yeah, we decided to go a little earlier to make it more garden party-ish. Um, and then there's a lot of people that had conflicted. Like, you know, we always have it in February um, because of Scott's anniversary month. So being in May is a busy time for weddings, proms, um, people's soccer schedules. But they always said they wanted to come and support us. So they wanted to come a little later. Would it be possible? So we left the time a little longer and we call it a pop-in. So if you wanted to come after a speaker, but you could still um, pop in. But Again, having that online auction app, we are allowing people all over the country to bid on items against the people that are in the venue, which is the first time we've been able to do this. So Love this that. is really exciting this year. Yeah. So all the all the auction can go online and in person right up till it closes? Yes. So we have an auction app. And like I said, it'll go live this Saturday. I'll share the link with everybody. You guys can put it on your page, too, so we get it out there a lot. People can actually start their bids this Saturday for an entire week up until the event. Well, so, that's, pretty, that's pretty cool. That, yeah. Now, it's going to be indoor, outdoor. It's over at uh, uh, the Country Club, um, Salisbury yes. Country Club. Mm -hmm. So indoor, outdoor, all indoor. We did both because we wanted to make sure everybody was staying, you know, socially distanced and safe. Um, and it, the weather's nicer now, too. And so the band will be set up outside. We have a tent. And um, so it'll be both indoor, outdoor. And then we'll have the keynote speakers inside. And um, we've also gotten some really cool videos from Senator Mark Warner and Ryan Hampton. And so we'll do a little slideshow so people see some of the messages. And it's it's going to be great. I'm really excited. Oh, that does sound like a lot of fun. But now these events take a lot of work, don't they? Yes. It's like a yes. full-time job. You're like doing this full-time. I am. I am. Yeah, I think she is. I, I just pop in and listen to the morning, whatever's going on, then I move out. <laughs> Jill not, does it all. That's not true. <laughs> no, I, you know, I do say, it, I, uh, I always envision our family starting this and staying with it and staying actively in it. And I hope that more family members want to get on board as we move along and some of our friends are like family to us. So oh, yeah, we've known for years. Yeah. And um, I, I think we're all going to keep doing this. Um, you know, and as you know, we're, we're in the middle of starting a nonprofit. So that's kind of something new that we are expanding our message to go more for adolescents to help them with substance use disorders and their families that are struggling right now. Yeah, that's a, just a marvelous idea. I love the way this thing started out and, and, the, and the direction it's going. I mean, it, you're going to make a big difference down the road. You want to talk about that a little bit, the, the expansion, nonprofit, where you hope to go? 
Yes. So, um, and I talked to you a little bit about it. Yeah, and, and, you it's, know, after, it's all good. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. After, um, you know, after we started Night for Scott, we started kind of, what do you think, like refocusing where all this is going to go. And, um, you know, what, what, um, where do you really want to start your, right. your focus and going younger, we younger, thought was yeah. getting yeah. to the root of the source problem earlier. We felt like with Scott, when he lost the girlfriend, well, and she talked to a lot of medical people right. and they seemed to think that, you know, the proclivity or, you know, may start early. And then if this something like either this, uh, Purdue pharma, you know, with an Oxycontin, because you know is introduced it's much easier to start something like that than someone maybe that didn't have an uh an issue that happened earlier so it's all this early um uh, education that right. we never thought about before and it was quite eye-opening for us so there, are there any, any new new prevention techniques that you're 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 looking into or do you know of any or just going to be more the same or no, we're, we're trying to, you know, because Dr. Abubakar is on board and I, you know, he's a wealth of knowledge, as you know, what I, I think what we did is we tried to get as many people that we know that are educated on the subject more so than we are and kind of bring them around us to make it a really strong team. So I think we learn something new every day. I do. I have learned quite a bit and Sheriff Leonard and I talk about this at length. There's a childhood trauma that's triggering this. Like you've got to get to the root of what's happening with these kids and it could be trauma that is not that big of a deal to us, but it was a big deal to that person. Or it could be a very big deal like sexual abuse or, you know, physical abuse from somebody. So um, I'm very interested in trying to think and get involved in more of a counseling, you know, resource center and trauma with these kids to prevent it and educate them earlier on so they can possibly avoid this. Yeah, I know. If there's one thing I learned about, we had that sober high school here for a while. Right. If there's one thing I learned about the Department of Education is they don't want to discover anything because then they might have to do something about it. Yeah. But these these stand to the side, standalone groups and organizations like you're starting. See, that kind of takes the burden off the education folks and allows y'all to flourish in, in what it is you need to be doing. You know, y'all yeah. y'all were just, you know, in case I don't ever say it enough, y'all were just so gracious and instrumental to us and the Scott house that you're able to help fund and, and get going. And, uh, I mean, I don't know if you realize how many people you helped in the early recovery and sober living. I mean, you're probably a hundred people. I would, I would dare say. So yeah. there, there's still been a great impact y'all had on us. And, and like I said, we're very honored and proud to be able to be part of this and help you get to where the next level is and where you're going. So, I just think it's so exciting that, that you and your family were able to, you know, grab a hold of some light in the darkness and, and see some positive movement and, and go do it. Cause I think you're going to do just so well, you know, moving forward. And, yeah. And you know, it's been a lot of, I mean, there's blood, sweat and tears into this thing now. Now oh, it's just, know, man. you know, oh, how much, and it's emotional. Yeah. It's taxing on you when you're going through it. Like you try to tell yourself, let your head and your heart be separate, but you can't separate those two. They, they constantly are, you know, doing that. But I mean, what, what are your thoughts on that? No, exactly what you said. I think you hit it on the, the nail head. It is hard to separate your, 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 your head and your heart. Um, the heart, I think takes you a lot further, <laughs> yeah. uh, but you know, if you had to, but, um, but I don't want to lose the heart of this. I tell yeah. a lot of people that I, this is becoming more of a nonprofit, more of a business like, but I don't want us to lose that grassroots family feel. I think it's critical that we keep grounded in that sense and that we keep Scott as our main focus and our main drive and passion. Well, I'm, I'm sure you will. So I got no doubt that won't always be front and center. So uh, I mean, he was a real person. It happened to him. You know, it can happen to a lot of people. I think some people kind of forget that we lost someone that we were very close to. You know, it's, we always say a night for Scott, brunch for Scott, this for Scott. But, you know, it comes from loving someone so much that you just you miss them all the time. You need to keep something going or else I think grief could take over. I think depression and grief could hit hard if we weren't doing something like this. So or they think, you know, like it's a it's a sign of weakness that, you know, they need to turn it around themselves or they're they're just being greedy or selfish. They need to want it. They're yeah. indulging and. And but what they don't understand is that there it's a sickness that's brought on by whatever medication or whatever, and you just can't you can't get out of well, it. Your brain chemistry is yeah. completely different. 
And Scott, Scott tried really hard. I mean, he's gone to detox. He would try to detox himself yeah. and lock Which himself in his apartment and dangerous. say, I could outsmart this. I'm I, he, he thought he, and he was, he was a very strong guy, but I think he thought he could beat it. And he, he fought like hell. He did. I mean, if anyone wanted to get well, it was him. Well, you know, it really, it sounds like he was still in the chase and recovery side of things when he got hit with that bad fentanyl pill, you know, if it won't probably for fentanyl, you know, who knows how this might've ended, you know? So, yeah. You know, well, he never, he never really had to go to recovery until he took the fentanyl. Well, I mean, yeah, the, fentanyl, yeah, the, opi- the Oxycontin. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's what even, saying. Yeah. Was, yeah. Right. right. Yeah. He was leading a normal life. He yeah. was working every day. He was, um, he, I mean, he liked to party. We always tell him, right. We're very open about his story. You know, we're not like denying things. No, he was, he was not, we're not painting him no. a saint. He's, you know, no, he's no, not no, that's that. what I was saying. I mean, he, he yes. had the opiate addiction piece going and he was in and out striving, trying to get some recovery. And he was, he was in, right. he was in the middle of it, but if it wasn't for that fentanyl pill. And it was a lethal amount that took him out. Yeah, that's that's what what I was saying. The Oxycontin, he didn't have that. His, he had a personality change. He had a brain change once he started. Yeah. That it was a, I mean, it was a significant change, everything. And then he would just say, Jill, no matter what I do, I can't get happy. I never forget him saying that to me. And I'd always say, you need more sleep. You know, this is ignorance on our part, but we also didn't understand the disease. And I'm telling them to buy apples and carrots. Oh my God, drink more water, eat a salad. I mean, cause that's a definitely a mom move. We both did it to him because that's how we do it. You know, oh, we're tired, get some rest. You know, we weren't understanding the actual hell that he was in. And we found journals that he had written and they were so depressing. I didn't believe he wrote them. And that the way, the how he viewed himself. Um, and it was obviously the brain. And they're, and they're yeah. all dated. When when the, when this all started, yeah. So you got a good chronological order on when his brain changed and how how you know deep he I guess he went. You know, I could talk about this a lot in recovery. Once your brain gets hijacked and you catch yourself trying to recapture that drug high, but see, once you get in recovery, you get get a taste of that recovery high. If you get a big enough taste, you know you don't want to go back to that drug high for the most part. And, uh, you know, I, I think a lot of people need to hear that, you know, that the yeah. recovery high is better than the drug high. And and I had to come to grips one day. I mean, as you know, I've been clean a long time and uh, I never thought I could live without that drug get high, I'll be honest with you. But it wasn't until I experienced the recovery high that I thought, holy smoke, this is not only better, but it's bigger and I can get more of this. And there's no limit to the, to the level of the recovery high I can get. And there's always a limit to the drug get high. You ain't going to get it so high. So I always remind folks in early recovery, just hang in there till you get that recovery high and know that you can get a bigger and bigger recovery high as time goes on. You know, there's no limit to the recovery high, but there's always a limit to the drug high. And for those with substance use disorder, like you said, you, you can't never be happy again. It's just so hard to be happy. So, yeah. but I there- think if he'd gotten in a right program, he could have been really successful in his recovery. Yeah, um, he, he was alone a lot. Isolation was the worst for him. Oh God. Yeah. Isolation is a kiss of death for, you know, recovery. Yes. It's just, you need connection to community. Playing See, we, did, we didn't realize all that. We didn't. We just thought, Oh, well, he's just got to turn his act around. You know? Yeah. He's got to want this. He's got to pull it together. Yeah. We didn't, we didn't understand it. Well, the, um, I see Johnny Fab. He's a regular on here. What's up, Johnny? How you doing? My brother? <laughs> Um, the, so you mentioned a little while ago, it's like a full-time job running these things. You know, I mean, it takes a lot of work, a lot of effort, a lot of energy. And and the more you want to do, of course, the harder it is. And, and I imagine your husband, you know, he's, he's watching how hard you're working on this. So, yes. I mean, I, I know he's got full support, you know, he, he loves the idea and whatnot. You, you catch yourself doing too much here. Um, yeah, yeah she, does. she does. You know, it, it's kind of. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, she does. She goes to bed. You know, one o'clock. She's yeah. up at six. Yeah. But I don't. I don't call her till nine. That's when I get up. <laughs> All right, I gotcha. <laughs> but you know, it's kind of like not to compare it to the recovery high, but when you accomplish something, or like with this fundraiser, when we get something donated that I think is a great item, or a company decided to sponsor us, or get on board, or we made a new connection. It's like all of a sudden, yes, 
yes, we're getting ahead of the game. We're, we're getting the message out there. We're getting this story out there. And I love it. And that kind of releases the endorphins in my head. And I love it. But yeah, it is hard because I don't sleep a lot and I do run all day long. But right. that, natural, that natural high that you talk about, John, being sober, she gets a high of fixing things. I do. I'm a doer and fixer. Yeah. Yeah, I, I believe it because I know I, I I love doing events. You know, I love doing things and being successful. I feel so good about it and whatnot. So you mentioned, you know, sponsors. Is it too late for somebody to be a sponsor or contribute or, or donate? Well, I was going to bring that up. So, you know, the auction items are going live Saturday, but we will, we're not going to say no to any items. You know, if people donate, we'll add it to the auction, you know, because a lot of people are going to come to the event and just start bidding that day. They're not going to be in advance. Right. Um, we would love more corporate sponsors. You know, we're always trying to get to a company that finds our story, you know, maybe it's touching or impressive to them and they want to sponsor us and continue that relationship. So, um, yeah, I mean, we have all of the information on a nightforscott.com and so of how to get tickets and sponsor. And then you guys have the information too. Yeah. I, I think, remember, I remember last year, I think it was a year before when, uh, like Paul brought that case of apple cider at the last minute, but we, we yeah. did a lot of auction that brought some good yeah. money. But, but my idea is you ought to encourage people to bring stuff and maybe do bundle live auctions or something at the night of. Yeah, you know, we're always trying to reinvent the wheel, you know, change it up a little bit. Well, you don't want to turn nothing down either, you know. Nope. So. Everything will sell. I say that to everybody. Everything will sell. I got you. So your kids are getting older now, right? Right. Are they engaged? They like this? They think it's cool? Are they coming this year? Or? Well, Carter's almost 13, actually, next week. And then Christian's almost 10. So we've always said we thought, what, 18 was around, maybe 16 to 18, you know, yeah, no, I, I was just thinking when you said that, yeah. John, how one of her children, well, the older one was telling the younger one, mom's got a full-time job. Did you know that? <laughs> and he, and Mom works now? Is she going to go to an office and leave us? Wow, that's but pretty cool. Yeah. Have... She was listening to their conversation. I thought that was funny. Yeah, right. but I think it's going to be critical that they, um, actually, my older son has told me, when I get a little older and I step down, that he'd like to start stepping in more. And I thought, A, I'm never getting old, but B, I love that he sees that involvement. And they both, we openly talk about drugs and addiction in our house now. And if Scott hadn't died from this, I would never, ever be having the conversation with my children. And, you know, adolescents, I mean, people, teenagers, they're getting hit very hard with these fentanyl pills. And I'm glad the conversation is being had with my children. And perhaps their uncle's story is going to save their life. I don't know. You know, like that little, what, 12-year-old boy in California, you sent me the picture he took. Up, yeah, I, um, I'm i on this group called Can You See Me Now? You might know it, John. And it's, right. people have died from overdose. And there's so many mothers that have come on with their 15, 14-year-old children that were gaming with their friends and decided to take a pill while they're playing Xbox. And they both were dead. I mean, he told them it was a Tylenol. Yeah. Wow. And, wow. and I called my son in the office. I said, Carter, you look at this boy. You look at this boy. He's two years older than you. You tell me that you're not going to, you know. So, again, it's a frightening time for everybody, to, especially kids. I mean, yeah. I, you know, adolescents, I feel, really needed someone to come through and support them right now. You know, it ain't none of how you raise your kids. But I, I wouldn't, I mean, I would suggest when they get to be a teenager, you don't let them start coming tonight for Scott. They don't have to stay all night, you know, but. Yeah. No, they will. They will. I think just a little more age, you know, on them. And I think they'll enjoy it. I mean, my, my nieces and nephews come and, you know, they're, it, I think it's critical that they come and hear what we have to say. You know, I got another idea just come to me. So I get these ideas all the time, but you, you know, maybe organize a, a youth, you know, night for kids, you know, and, yeah. and, do, and get a bunch of youth involved. Do, do, do you know, do target that youth population that we're going to do a, you know, a night for youth, but a night for Scott for you so you can educate these kids. You know, this is what can happen. And, you know, do a similar event, of course, without, you know, I guess the alcohol and whatnot. But, you know, you got so many different, you know, tentacles out there you can, can get involved with. Yeah, do a bowling alley with pizza or a rock wall yeah. pizza events or yeah, yeah, we're talking with the new nonprofit about doing like community session evenings about inviting youth and their parents to you know, maybe give out Narcan, maybe, you know, talk about the dangers of this. If their kids are experiencing this, how they can go to get a resource and help them out. So, um, yeah, I mean, all roads are possible right now. We're definitely in the, 
early stages of developing this. Well, so. I, yeah, I think the hit, though, what I'm trying to say, get the kids involved. Let them right. do a lot of the lifting, a lot of the work, but but make sure it's a fun social event, too, you know, where boy gets to meet girl if that happens, you know. <laughs> instead of old stock cops, you have, you have a little, you know, information <laughs> cops or something. Yeah. You know? yeah. I mean, you do want to maximize the outcome of your efforts. and uh, Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> I think that's a cool idea. I was a 14 year old boy and I knew it was going to be 114 year old girls. I'd be all over that, you know. So, <laughs> so any other thoughts or ideas? Anything I'm missing you'd like to cover or talk about? Um, can you add anything, Mom? No, just come out for the event, have a good time, and uh, enjoy, you know, all that Jill's worked hard to put out there and our know. team. Right? Yeah. yeah, we, you know, we have everybody on the team works tirelessly right now. I mean, everyone is putting in overtime and, but they all share the same drive and passion of wanting to make a difference. And I, I, it, is a, it is a fun night. I mean, you've been there. It's a good time. It starts off a little slow and sad when you hear some of the speakers. But every time I meet someone that has come to the event, they're like, you know, I went and did this. But because of what, you know, one of your speakers told me, I stopped in my tracks and I didn't do it. So I know people are, you know, getting the education and awareness that we really want them to receive at this event. Right. And I know, and like I said, I do know you got a, a two great guest speakers. I know Dan... Snyder, the pharmacist, going to do a good job. He's a fun guy to talk to. Right. Uh, and, and Camille, you know, she's a wonderful young lady, and she's fun to talk to. They're both very personal people. and They are. And they're a really good duo. I always say they're like a nice little yin and yang, the way they present together. I think they do really well um, speaking publicly together. But And Lonnie Baldwin, do you know who he is? He's also speaking at our event. Have you met Lonnie before? Lonnie, what's his last name? Baldwin and his wife Tanya. I, I, I may, I don't know. You know, I, they I don't, come to all of our events, but um, yeah, so he's, it, it yeah. rings a bell. Lonnie does ring a bell, though. I think I met him. He has a great success story. He does, yeah. and he's heavily involved in the recovery community, and his story is pretty unbelievable. And um, I know he and Tanya have been involved uh, with AA programs at Tucker's and things like that, so they're very well known in recovery communities. But um, I can't wait for him to share his story. I always people keep asking me what's his story, and I said it's not my story to tell; it's his. Right. And that's why we chose him to tell it at the event because I think people are going to get a lot out of his story. I'm yeah. really impressed with him. I would yeah. I would think I know him, so just because I don't. When you see him, you probably will. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm sure yeah. I will. So we've been talking almost an hour. Uh, any last words here, Linda? I'll, I'll let you go first. No, just looking forward to seeing you, John. And, oh, um, always a and, um, you know, like I said, for, a, you know, a fun evening, a, you know, a very uh, impactful evening and uh, just to share with people and hopefully it will all make a difference or yep. start beginning to make a difference. What well, already has. Yeah, yep. you're right. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. I'll be there, me and my wife. Uh, Jill, last words. No, I just, you know, like I said, I, I just appreciate for everybody's like support. And I mean, it's almost, it's quite overwhelming how many people reach out to us and want to help us. And I love that. And I just hope that we continue to make a difference in Scott's honor. That's really always been the goal. Well, we, we appreciate y'all coming on the show today. We're just going to be up on the, the, the Facebook page, Justin, probably right now or in the next 10 minutes. So we can reboost it out. People can listen to it and get an idea of who Scott was, who the family mm -hmm. is what the cause is for and, and, and what the hope shot's going to be. Uh, we're very excited and we're, we're just pleased and blessed to have you on the show today. So ladies, I'm looking forward to seeing you next Saturday night for Scott Salisbury country club. Uh, we've been posting the website and we'll, we'll repost it. So we'll know where to go and who to contact. And uh, until then more later. Thank you. All very right. Thanks, much, John. Ladies. We appreciate it. Thanks for having right. care. Thank, All right. you. Bye -bye. Thank you, Justin. Bye. Good job. Here at McShen, we believe in the McShen way, which is authentic recovery support service providers, people with lived experience, bringing that experience to those who need that lived experience in recovery. Here at McShen, we believe in many things to support our mission. We believe in women empowerment. What I love most about what we believe here at McShen is we believe in the authenticity of the peer-to-peer -peer approach. Here at the McShin Foundation, we believe in giving people opportunity. Here at McShin, we believe in the inherent worth and dignity of every person. 
At the McShin Foundation, we believe in helping people reach their full potential. Here at the McShin Foundation, we believe in multiple pathways to recovery. Here at McShin, we believe in placing principles before personalities to help spread hope. Here at McShin, we believe that recovery is possible and that any person seeking recovery can become a more acceptable, responsible, and productive member of society. Here at the McShin Foundation, we believe in self-discovery. Here at McShin, we believe in saving lives and offering second chances. Here at McShin, we believe you can do this. Here at McShin Foundation, we believe that we can only keep what we have by giving away, which is why we continue to help others like us seek and find recovery. McShen Foundation and a woman in long-term recovery since May 27, 2007. I have not used drugs or alcohol. Woo -woo. Thank you so, so much to the Richmond Times Dispatch and all of our voters for getting the Herd podcast. Those podcasts are amazing. Not only has it helped thousands upon thousands of people in their recovery, as well as family members, but it has helped me in my personal recovery. I get to listen to them now in my car through Spotify and iHeartRadio. And it's just really, really important for us to be innovative in the addiction field and the recovery community. So when COVID hit, we had to be innovative. You know, we really had to think of like, what can we do to reach people that cannot go to 12-step meetings? smart recovery, faith-based, whatever, um, that we're shutting down constantly. So we were innovative here at McShin. Let's start podcast. So with Todd, John, Alex, um, and some other staff, you know, we all just kind of jumped in who can do what. And um, with Todd's lead and John's lead, the podcasts have been amazing and we're still doing them today. So I want to thank you for all of your votes and all of your energy and all of your support of our mission of healing families and saving lives. Thanks.